The Nuggets and Heat have drawn first blood in the NBA Conference Finals. What will the Lakers and Celtics do to try to get even at one game apiece? Speaking of which, the NHL commences their semifinal round that lacks a lot of sex appeal, but I'll make a couple of predictions there. An interesting week for the Yankees with Chirpgate, Sticky Substances, and a walk-off in Toronto. The PGA Championship begins today as I'll share my thoughts as well as the second leg of the Triple Crown as Mage tries to make a run at another win to set the stage for the Belmont Stakes. No shortage of sports chatter as I'm ready to kick off another fun-filled podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. If it's sports talk that you want with nothing but opinions and analysis and in great detail, you've come to the right place to listen to it all as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and boy, do I have a lot to get off my chest here to kick us off, so get ready if your earbuds, speakers, headphones, you may as well adjust them, or maybe even increase or lower the volume, depending on how sensitive your ears are, because last night, and that's where I'm going to start, people, the Celtic team is so Jekyll and Hyde, where... We knew that this was going to be a rock fight, street fight of a series. We know how physical the Miami Heat are. We know that the Celtics are capable of playing against them. We talked about this on Monday, how this is the third time in the last four years. They both split the first two conference finals, as we know, going back to the bubble in 2020. And then last year, the Celtics had the disadvantage of being the road team. And even though they did lose a game one last year in Miami... But the beat goes on, not only here in the last round, as we saw where Philadelphia won a game one behind James Harden's 43 points and some sloppy play. Well, the exact same scenario last night where the Celtics continue to shoot themselves in the foot. And that's not to discredit anything that the Miami Heat did. You have to give it up for what they've done. And I've talked about them ad infinitum and even ad nauseum to a certain extent. But this team just wants to make you pull all your hair out of your head. It is frustrating to watch as beautiful as they could play basketball 
when it comes to their defense, when it comes to them shooting the ball. And we understand that if you're going to live by the three, you're going to die by the three. And when it's on and popping and clicking, as we saw there, especially Sunday with Jason Tatum and his 51 points, it is a beautiful thing to witness. But last night, even after a second quarter, which they started to pull away there, and it looked like all the momentum was on Boston's side, considering they built a 13-point lead and led by 10. And you're thinking, okay, let's see how this third quarter is going to go. Because as we all know, these third quarters could either make or break the Celtics, as we've seen not only just this year, but also in this past couple of years with this particular core of Tatum, Jalen Brown, Horford, Smart, etc. And what you saw in that third quarter last night, now... I can honestly say it was more on their cold shooting and their lack of defense. But let's face it, you're giving up 46 points to a Miami Heat team that does not have LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and Miami Heat teams of the past where you could understandably and rightfully think that if they had a 46-point quarter in them, all right, those are three Hall of Famers there that were able to just blitz the Celtics in the third quarter. But other than Jimmy Butler, they do not have anybody on their roster that is going to come anywhere near being enshrined in Springfield, Massachusetts when their careers are all said and done. But that is a testament to how this Miami Heat team plays. We know how gritty they are. We know they're super gutty. We know they have tremendous heart. And I understand that that's not going to win championships. It all boils down to execution, as we know, and obviously talent. And when we look at the roster of the Heat compared to the Celtics, there is no comparison when it comes to talent. You could say both teams are deep, but when you have a lot of undrafted guys there on the Miami Heat who are making plays, making big shots, getting defensive stops, making plays all over the 94-foot court, and when you look at the Celtics and what they've done, especially in that fourth quarter, to where Jason Tatum did not get the ball once he was reinserted in the lineup about eight minutes to go in the fourth. And by then, they're already down 12 points heading into the fourth quarter. They made a bit of a run to make it 103-98. But they were unable to get that key basket, or even better yet, not even get a stop. But the sloppy play continues to doom this team left and right. And even with Marcus Smart having 10 assists in the first half and one turnover, that flip-flopped in the second half. And for Jason Tatum, as I mentioned, to come in the game there with about eight minutes left in the fourth and not touch the ball for the first four minutes of that, which is puzzling to say the least. I don't know if that's coaching. I'm not going to put that all on Joe Mazzola. But for those final four minutes, when he got the ball, it was hot potato. Or the basketball may have been filled with Vaseline all around it because it was just slipping out of his hand as he's traveling with the ball, trying to up fake, and it was just a disaster. And this Celtic team, we've seen it time after time, whether it's Malcolm Brogdon throwing Aaron passes, whether it's Jalen Brown doing the same thing, whether it's him getting stripped in the front court. I cannot understand why this team is just careless. You would think this is their first time in the postseason. If this is the Sacramento Kings, you don't like it, but you're like, okay, they're green. Obviously, they need a lot of seasoning and a lot of experience in order for them to shake off these turnovers or this sloppy play. But we see this time after time after time with the Celtic team. And it's become unnerving to watch because you would think by now, after last year's run, I get it under a different coach, but you would think that they would have it at least a little bit together to know that maybe I shouldn't make that pass or maybe I shouldn't try too hard. Even Jason Tatum said in the postgame, 
He says, the game sped up for me. I need to slow it down. My guy, you've been on this team for six years. You've made plenty of deep runs into the postseason. How many conference finals you've been? I believe four conference finals. You would think by now, the game would come to you a lot more than you trying to go after it or trying to do too much or trying to make that extra pass or the three that's from 30 feet, let alone 25 feet. Enough already. You would think this team has a better grasp of what it is that they need to do down the stretch of games or even in the middle of games. And I don't want to hear about intensity Oh, the Heat wanted it more. Or, oh, the Heat played that much more physical. You know what type of team you're playing against here. This isn't a secret. This isn't a surprise. So by any means necessary, it's not as if you go into the series thinking that, okay, what are the Miami Heat going to throw at us? You know exactly what they're going to do. And with Jimmy Butler contributing the way he has, what do you have, 31 points in the game, and their complementary parts, Kyle Lowry, who has won a championship and knows his way around playoff basketball, he had a few big threes there in that third quarter, which propelled them to not only take that big lead from the Celtics away, but also get themselves to a double-digit lead at the end of the quarter. When you have guys like Max Strews and Gabe Vincent, and I've been singing their praises all along. I mean, these are guys that, when you look at both rosters, you wouldn't even think about picking them. But, as I've said a million times over, with the whole Heat culture and what they truly believe in and having that true together team focus and aspect and knowing that they're a band of brothers. That's not to say that the Celtics or the Lakers or the Nuggets don't have that same philosophy. But this team is what it's all about. If you look at the definition of guys from 1 through 12, it's next man up. And we know it's a seven or eight man rotation. We get that, but they still contribute. Whether it's Kevin Love making threes and why the Cavs let him go is beyond me. I'm sure they could have used him in that first round series against the Knicks. But whether it's the baseball passes that we've seen from Love going back to his days in Minnesota, execution on the other end. I mean, it's just the Celtics seem to be just clueless at times as if they don't know their opponent. And it's just super frustrating to watch and You got to give it up to the Miami Heat. And one more time, it's not to discredit what they did last night. They put up 123 points on the Celtics. And this is a team that has literally one legit star and a cast of ragamuffins. And that's not to diss them. That's not to knock them. And Bam Adebayo, give it up. He also had a big game. And he's not a ragamuffin. He's a guy that's been an all-star. And he's a very good two-way player. But you understand where I'm coming from. And I understand not every team's going to have a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or LeBron, Anthony Davis. You're not going to have that dynamic duo. I get that. But what this Heat team has done here, not only in the playing tournament where they had to just drag themselves across the finish line, and thanks to Jimmy Butler for that, and then to beat Milwaukee the way they did, minus Giannis for almost three games, and then dispose the Knicks the way they did, and then now here they are back in this setting... And they mean business. And can the Celtics get back in the series? Of course. And I think they will. And I think what's going to happen here is that it's going to be game five. It's going to be 2-2. And it's a coin flip. That's how I'm looking at the series. Because I can see the Celtics are going to have to fight tooth and nail to win these games. You're not going to see a 127-101 type game. I'd be shocked if you're going to see that. The Heat do not play those type of games. 
They usually do not get blown out as indicative when you look at the series last year. And again, you can say, well, that was last year, Jay Reels. Why are you comparing last year to this year? The makeup of the team is pretty much the same. So for 365 or calendar year later, I'm not going to look at it and say, oh yeah, the Celtics got game two, or yeah, they're just going to run the heat out of the building. That's not going to be the case. So the Celtics really have their work cut out for them. And I think they'll win a game two tomorrow. And who knows? Maybe it's going to be the same way that we've seen in the previous series where they'll win a game three in Miami, they'll lose game four, come back to Boston and watch them lose at home in a game five. And then win on the road in the game six. And then the next thing you know, it's game seven all over again like you had with the Sixer series. Could I see it playing out that way? 1,000%. Because this Celtic team, I'm going to say it right now, I do not trust them. How can you? When you expect them to play good, they wet the bed. And when you expect, oh, geez, they're down 0-1. Let's see how they're going to come out. I can see them being a little tenuous. Miami's going to try to pounce on them. And yes, for them, they're going to cruise to, let's say, an 8 or 9-point victory where, not to say it was a rocking chair, and not to say it wasn't a white knuckler at times, but they went ahead and pulled in the final couple of minutes to where they were able to even up the series. And that's what we're looking at here as a Celtic fan. And whenever you have the road team win, as I said, the underdog, when they get those odd number games, one, three, five in particular, it's going to be a long series. And as we saw that last night, it looks like that's going to be the outcome. As for Denver and the Lakers, I know Denver got off to that big lead. Nikola Jokic, what more can you say about the guy? When you put up 34, 21, and 14, I mean, seriously, as a center? But we know how great he is, and I'm not going to extol his praises. He doesn't need to hear that from me, but we understand that he played a huge part. Jamal Murray also had a big game as well. And I get it that a lot of people looking at those final few minutes of the fourth quarter, and I get it that the Lakers came all the way back and they cut it to three twice, where LeBron had a chance to tie it and missed. And it was another opportunity for them to, what was it, I believe at 125-122, but the Nuggets were able to prevail, and even though LeBron had 23, what was it, 12 and 8, Austin Reeves also had 23, Anthony Davis had 40 and 10, but everybody wants to talk about how the Nuggets got a little bit tight there because of an adjustment that was made by Darvin Ham to where they had Rui Achimura defend Nikola Jokic, and that was a little bit of a shining light to segue to Game 2, which will be tonight, where people will think that Rui Achimura is going to be the determining factor or the X factor to flip this series to maybe have the Lakers go back to LA 1-1. I'll believe it when I see it. And that's not to knock Achimura, but if you're going to have a guy who is pretty much a role player, now all of a sudden have his imprint on the series to where he's going to slow down Nikola Jokic one more time, wake me up when his numbers are 28 and six, and that was all based on what Achimura did, now we're talking. But until I see that, I will not believe it. But the Lakers, I think that they could get back in the series tonight. To me, it's going to be a series where LeBron, not to say he's got to take over, because we all know Anthony Davis is the engine of this team. LeBron can't be the guy that's going to carry the mail here to where he's going to have to put up 35, 40 points. He has to leave that to Anthony Davis. And mind you, Davis did put up 40 the other night, but you're also going to have to get a little bit of a 
defensive mindset to slow down Nikola Jokic, not to put up those big numbers. And I get it. There's going to be a lot of focus on Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. And they're going to be key to try to get themselves a two-love series advantage to go back to Staples, Crypto.com Arena. But for the Lakers, to me, not that this is a tall order tonight. I think they can win tonight. But they know that they do not have a margin for error. They really need to come out and punch the Nuggets in the mouth, similar to what LeBron said in the postgame about how Denver did so in the first half there on Tuesday night. And that's what they're going to need. They're going to need to have a complete performance. I'm sure there's going to be 40-plus minutes logged for both of these guys in this game, especially if the game is close. Now, if the Nuggets win going away, different story. I'm sure they're going to have to regroup. They'll have enough rest, I would think, if it is garbage time in the fourth quarter for LeBron and AD to get back on a plane to get themselves righted and recovered for a Game 3 there on Saturday night. But it's real simple. The Lakers, in order for them to not only win this series, but to be in this series, they must win the night. They can't go down 0-2 back to LA because even if the Lakers do hang around and let's say they win the next two games, Denver has the home court as we know. And as we saw in the previous series, Denver had that statement game in Phoenix in a game six when they won by 25. So the recipe for the Lakers here in this postseason after the playing tournament was to take game one as they did in Memphis and in Golden State, win the two home games as they did in games three and four against both of those clubs in the opening round and in the conference semis. And then they did lose a game five on the road before winning a game six in their building. And both in blowout fashion. And unless they win tonight, and let's say they would have to win three in a row in order to have that same scenario play out, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think Denver, they know a lot about their team to the standpoint of, I'm sure they're going to look a lot at those last few minutes of the game where the Lakers did make those adjustments and did crawl back into the game to where they actually had a shot to tie. So before people are going to break out the pom-poms and think, oh, well, the Lakers, they may have... Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets figured out. Well, don't you think the Nuggets on the other side realize that, wait a minute, we saw what happened there. Let's zero in on that and let's see if we can avoid that, not only just late in the game, but throughout the game, especially maybe as you get into the first and second quarters to where Achimura can maybe try to do what he did in game one to game two. I would think the Nuggets are going to try to snuff that out. Now, it's a matter of them being successful and executing that, we all understand, but it's not as if they're blind So what took place there in those final few minutes to think that all of a sudden the Lakers, oh, now we've unlocked the cheat code to see whether or not that we could get back in the series tied at one and go to LA. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Boston will win game two. And LA, I think they'll be in the game. But the Nuggets have been dominant at home. They've won every game to date. And unless the Lakers, one more time, Anthony Davis is going to have to put up that similar Game one stat line, and LeBron's going to have to do even a little bit more. And not only Reeves to contribute, but you need Lonnie Walker, even Achimura to a certain extent, Dennis Schroeder. You're going to need a couple more guys to have to chip in there in order for them to get this series even and hopefully get some juice going back to LA to where if you get both of these series at 1-1, then you may have some length in both of these series. I think in the East you're going to have length regardless. Out West, different story. If the Lakers win tonight... Who knows, maybe it'll go back to Denver 2-2 and away we go. Because I don't think the Lakers are going to beat Denver twice in their building the same success that they had in the previous two series.
So let's see. Now the conference finals are on and popping. Each a game under our belts. And when we get back together on Monday, we'll certainly break it down and see how this will all unfold. As far as news off the court, Doc Rivers, no surprise, gets canned. What was it? Monday afternoon? And you knew there was going to be a fall guy. You knew there was going to be a scenario. Maybe it was Tuesday. But considering that throughout the three years that he was there, the first year, there were even talks about him maybe getting jettisoned at that point. Losing to the Atlanta Hawks three times in your building, including that Game 7 with the famous Ben Simmons where he could have had a dunk and he passed it. I believe it was to Tyrese Maxey or maybe it was to Matias Teibel. But for that loss, and then last year, Losing in the second round to Miami. And then this one, you could say, was indefensible only because you won a game five in Boston. And then you lost game six with a two-point lead there late. And then what you saw there, the implosion in game seven where it looked like they quit there in the second half. And Doc Rivers got his walking papers. And that's tough. You don't want to see it. But Doc Rivers, ever since he left Boston has not been able to recapture any of that championship magic. And he's had good teams, and he's had good players on those teams, dating back to those early Clipper teams of Lob City. Later on there, in the bubble with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and then now here with Embiid and Harden. And he just has been unable to figure out a formula to get their teams, whether over the hump to a conference final and to an NBA final, and then winning it all. But the second round has been his plateau, and therefore has walked the plank, and is out in Philadelphia. And who knows where his next stop's going to be. If I'm him, I take a year off. Maybe if you want to do TV, you could do that. Because the grind of Boston, LA, Philadelphia, and those are three basketball hotbeds. I guess it's the Clippers, not the Lakers. But still, maybe it's time to decompress, take a blow, regroup, reboot, recover, and then maybe go at it, not this upcoming year, but the following. And then you had the draft lottery. And I talked about this on Monday, and everybody knows how I felt. And I wish I could replay the clip. Maybe I should have done that before. Who knows? Maybe I'll dig it up and put it on right after this. But for the San Antonio Spurs, and I get it. People can say, Jay Reels, it's 26 years. Let it go. What do the Spurs have anything to do with you? But it's that PTSD, and I'll never forget where I was on that day. And I believe it coincided on the day of the Nixon Heat, Game 7, and the draft lottery was at halftime. Now, as we know, it's in primetime before the 8.30 game on ESPN. But it was the game was on NBC. That was the Nick Heat series where P.J. Brown flipped Charlie Ward and then Patrick Ewing. Everybody got suspended. And, of course, those guys didn't play in a Game 7. And Tim Hardaway went off with 38 points in that Game 7 down in the old Miami Arena. But it was at halftime then where the ping pong balls did not go the Celtics way. And mind you, they had two picks. They had the Mavericks pick for that year, which was the sixth overall that year. And that was even dubious because that was supposed to be a higher pick. And based on those ping pong balls, and higher what I mean was probably top four. That ended up being sixth. And right then I knew, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to be a good sign. And what happened? They went to the commercial break. It was down between three teams. Celtics, Sixers, San Antonio. And the Celtics had the worst record. Remember, Vancouver, they couldn't pick that year because they were an expansion team. So therefore, they weren't going to get the number one overall pick. So they were on the outside looking in. So to think, 
with the Celtics, they were 15 and 67. I may have said 17 and 65 the other day. 15 and 67 with the likes of Michael Hawkins, Nate Driggers, Andrew DeClerc. Yeah, that Celtic team. Just so you know that if people want to say, oh, Jay Reels, you're a Celtic fan, you're probably a bandwagon. No, 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 no. I went to three games that year. Two of them were wins, by the way. Well, I won't even go there. But anyway, for that to unfold, where you saw the envelope being lifted, the number third pick goes to the Boston Celtics. I said, oh my God, is Philly going to get the number one pick and I got to be sick to my stomach? The next pick, Philadelphia, and then San Antonio got it. And the reason why I bitched them on about San Antonio is because they tanked down the stretch of that season. David Robinson was hurt. Sean Elliott was hurt. They had guys that they figured, ah, let's just sit and let's see what's going to happen if the ping pong balls get lucky enough to where they'll get the number one pick and we all know who the number one pick was that year and that would be Tim Duncan. And ever since then, we all know, five championships later, and I get it that the Celtics won in 2008, as we know, but the Spurs just tormented the Celtics. Look at the Celtics' record, and mind you, they had bad teams throughout, even in those mid-2000 years with Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce, They had decent teams, but they still never beat the Spurs. And it wasn't until you got KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce to when they finally broke through and won, and not even on a consistent level. So the Spurs just took the Celtics fan base organization to the back of the woodshed because of that. And right, why would that impact me today? Only because we understand that Victor Wembanyama, who's supposed to be the next great generational prospect, and again, that remains to be seen, but we've seen... The highlights, and again, we could talk about the talent level that he's playing over there, overseas, but they still have a shot to draft a -a once-in-a-lifetime type player. We saw what happened there in 97, even 10 years prior with David Robinson, and now they're going to get their man again come late June. So it has me boiling and furious, to say the least. But I'll worry about that then. I just had to get that off my chest before I move on. Now as I lace up my skates to go from one conference final to another, and it seems like it's been a month since the Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers have played. Now, seriously, it's been almost a week. Carolina beat the Devils a week ago today, so with their week off and with the Panthers beating the Maple Leafs last Friday, they've had six days. And then you had Dallas, as we know, beat Seattle there Monday night in a pretty... Hotly contested matchup. Now, Dallas was in control. They did jump out to a 2-0 lead. And then the Kraken did get a goal late with about 18 seconds to go. But, you know, even then, once they got that goal, just to scramble and do everything and anything it took just to try to get that much closer. And 18 seconds is not enough time to try to get the equalizer. And as we saw there, Dallas prevailed behind Jake Edinger, who bounced back from that game six where he got pulled. So the Kraken give it up. Valiant effort, just a great way to start off their franchise in the postseason with what they've done so they cannot hang their heads, to say the least. But now you have Dallas playing Vegas, and these are the top two teams. Well, Colorado was the second seed overall, but Dallas, we all know, they've been very good throughout the course of this year. And with Vegas, they've been in the top spot throughout the course of this past NHL season. But when we put all this together, obviously it's not a sexy conference final for either conference. Nobody in their right mind, especially the average sports fan, they're going to be gravitated to watch the Hurricanes and Panthers play. Now the Panthers, they have more firepower. They have names that maybe not to the average sports fan or even the casual sports fan they may be familiar with, but the 
Diehard hockey fan, of course, obviously, we got to put them aside. But even if you're a sports fan, you know who Matthew Kachuk is. You know Carter Vergehi because he's had some postseason success with the overtime goals, as we saw there in the first round against Boston, winning that series when they were down three games to one and upending the regular season champs. So they have a couple of household names that you could rally around and have some veteran players, the Alexander Barkovs of the world. I know the goaltender who's played well, and you got to give it up, Sergei Bobrovsky, but you don't trust him as far as you could throw him. And then Carolina, as we saw here firsthand as an Islander fan, they don't have any spectacular players. In fact, a lot of those guys have been on the shelf for quite some time, but they have four good lines. They play very good defense. They have a goaltender in Antti Ranta who is very reliable. And Carolina has done it very well this postseason, beating the Islanders in six. But remember, they had a 2-0 and 3-1 series lead before beating the Islanders in six. And then the last series, up to love and then 3-1 before winning in five. And Carolina, they are a rock-solid team. And these two teams know each other pretty well because they are division rivals. And you wonder with the long layoff for both of these teams, is it going to be similar to a heavyweight fight where they're going to feel each other out? Or are the Panthers in particular, because they are a seven seed and an underdog, are they just going to come out flying the way they have pretty much since game five of the Bruins series up until this point as we get ready to start? And they're the first one up tonight in the conference finals where Dallas and Vegas will play tomorrow. But how I look at it, I think... Panther Magic, and I know Carolina, they are a team that, one more time, not spectacular, not overwhelmingly good, they are talented, but not a lot of household names, and household names aren't going to win series, but there's something about the Panthers, they're able to score, and I get it that Carolina plays a lot better defense than Florida does, if it's going to be... Florida Panther-paced hockey, they're going to win. But Carolina, as much as I'm rooting for Florida, I think Carolina's going to win in six. Only because Florida, I'm sure they're going to try to outgun them. They're going to try to just skate right past them. But Carolina is that team, kind of similar to the old Devils teams of the 90s, not to say they play that neutral zone trap, but they're just a very smart team. And they're coached very well by Rod Brindamore. And as much as I'm going to root for the Panthers, I'd rather see them there. And no matter how you slice it, the Stanley Cup Final, it's going to be tough to have anybody watch. Whether it's Carolina, Vegas, Carolina, and Dallas, or Florida, Vegas, Florida, Dallas. I mean, (laughs) it's going to be a tough sell if you're in the National Hockey League. But I'm going to say the Hurricanes in six... And as far as the West goes, I can see this being a seven-game series. Dallas, they've played in some tough games. Now, Minnesota, they were down 2-1 in that series in the opening round, and they came back and won the next three. And we saw what happened here in this series against Seattle. And Vegas, they had a cakewalk over Winnipeg. And then, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say they easily beat Edmonton, but they handled them pretty well. And that game three I thought was critical after Edmonton won In Vegas, 5-1, and then they beat them the way they did in their building up in Alberta. And Vegas, they're going to be a tough out. But I think Vegas, when it's all said and done, 
They're going to win in seven. They have the home ice. Not that that means a lot because we've seen teams win on the road in game sevens, not only just in the NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, etc. But I really, truly believe and feel that Vegas, with what they've been able to do so far this postseason, and I get it that there's firepower on Dallas with Jason Robertson and Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, and we can look at Vegas and what they've been capable of doing with the venerable Mark Stone and Jonathan Marshall, who's gotten his sea legs here, especially in this last round. But I really think that the Golden Knights are going to get themselves back to a cup. And one more time, I think Florida and Vegas will probably be the sexiest matchup out of the four. You don't want Carolina there. You don't. I'm sorry for those who live in that region. Carolina doesn't do anything for the sports fan. Florida, at least they could say, oh, there's a seven seed that beat Boston. You have something to hang your hat on if Florida doesn't make it to a cup final. And Vegas, because they were there five years ago, okay, fine. Dallas, I understand they were there just three years ago, but that was in the bubble. Kind of gets forgotten. People are going to remember who won that cup as opposed to who lost or who was the losing participant in that series. But I just hope that they're competitive. I think they will be competitive. I think they will be good series, but is it going to attract a lot of people and a lot of attention? I don't think it's going to. By them losing any of the original six teams and any of the teams that have a lot of firepower, a la Edmonton, Colorado, and we know about the Rangers, Bruins, Toronto, etc. I just don't see it. Even if you're maybe just, I won't even say a Dino hockey fan. And who knows, maybe the Dino hockey fan will be like, all right, I'll turn it on if it's there or whatever. But again, these teams do not resonate, I think, with just the regular sports fan, but maybe even with the diehard hockey fan. Because these are teams that, not to say this is unfamiliar territory, maybe for the Panthers, because they haven't been to a conference final in a generation. And Carolina, they went to a cup, what, 17 years ago? The West is a different story, as I mentioned just a minute or two ago, but no matter how I try to dissect it and give you a coconut and palm tree type storyline, there's still going to be a cloud that's hovering over said palm trees and coconuts, and just before you're ready to crack it open, there may be a thunderstorm in there to just kind of rain on the parade of what should be and could be a very competitive conference final, but... mm, Again, not a lot of appeal and not a lot of juice when we head into this semifinal round. All right, now let's put on the batting gloves and lace up the cleats as we go around the horn here with some baseball. And a couple of things to discuss here, especially with the New York teams. And I get people going to say, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels. He's going to probably spew about his Mets and talk about the Yankees. And although there's not much else going on, I know you had a couple of injuries here. Dustin May, who looks like He could be on the shelf for quite some time. I don't know for sure, but when you leave with a right elbow strain, as he did in yesterday's start, that may not look good. And he's already recovered from Tommy John surgery. And we know the Dodgers have played very well here. They've actually turned their, I won't say season, because they're still not even at Memorial Day yet, even though we're past the quarter pole of the baseball season. But after that slow start, what were they, 8-9, and I believe? And they are currently, what, 28-16? and So we'll have to keep an eye on this injury because the Dodgers, as we know, no Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw getting older. And I, from last I checked, I believe he's back pitching, but uh, was always in and out of the lineup. We know with him with his balky back at times. And the 
Dodgers, who have certainly played a lot better, but knowing that if you're going to have another starting pitcher go down, that's one that, eh, not to say they won't recover from, but it certainly will be a tougher chore for them to sustain over the course of a long season if they have another guy get shut down or worse, have to go down with the Tommy John elbow injury. As far as the locals, the Yankees have been in the news the last few days. They're up in Toronto playing the Blue Jays. And on Monday, we have Chirpgate, which to me was the biggest joke running. Are we really supposed to believe Aaron Judge in the postgame that he was looking over to the dugout to speak with his eyes to say, hey guys, stop chirping at the umpires? Because in that at-bat, in the top of the eighth inning, where the Yankees already had a 6 nothing lead, and for... Judge to then look in the dugout a couple of times before a strike was called on a pitch that was low, a slider, by the Blue Jays reliever Jay Jackson, and how Aaron Boone came out of the dugout, got thrown out of the game, was arguing with the home plate umpire, and that's a scenario where, watching it, I'm thinking to myself, why the hell are you getting thrown out at 6 nothing, where the game is pretty much already over? And yes, I understand he's going to go to bat for his players, and he always does that. But that's the thing about Boone. He's more of a babysitter, caretaker, let me coddle my guys, as opposed to just letting the game play out. All right, let's say if he got called out in a strike three there, maybe you bark at the umpire a little bit. But it's not as if the game was close. It's not as if it was a one-run game or they were trailing. Or I mean, please, Aaron Boone, do we have to all of a sudden puff out your chest and stick up for your players based on a low strike when you're up by six runs in the eighth inning? To me, that was uncalled for. But then even after he gets tossed, Judge is still looking in the dugout. And we understand stealing signs is a part of the game. Especially from a standpoint of not using technology or trash cans as we've talked about in the past with the Astros. And then on a 3-2 pitch, he hits one 445 feet and breaks a panel there above the restaurant in dead center field. So the Yankees went on to win that game, but the judge explanation, I'm not buying. Even the reliever, Jay Jackson, said that he was tipping pitches, and therefore judge hit one to Ottawa. But from there, with these two teams, as maybe a rivalry will start to brew here between these two clubs, because then the next night, Domingo Herman gets caught with the sticky substance, And he gets tossed out of the game to where he now has to serve a 10-game ban. So he's going to be out for two starts, and that's what the Yankees absolutely needed. Another starter to go down, thankfully not by injury, but by suspension. And then last night, no score into the 10th inning before Danny Jansen walks off Toronto into the night as they get themselves back in the series. They play the final game of a four-game set this evening in Toronto. So we'll see how that series will conclude. But the Yankees had a very interesting week, to say the least. And based on Chirpgate, Herman, the walk-off, and let's see what's going to transpire today as the Yankees from here will go to Cincinnati to play the Reds over the weekend. And then you have the Mets where last night they had a signature win where they were down 2-0, where Mark Vientos, who was called up from AAA, who's been hitting the cover off the ball. And you've seen this team, whether it's Brett Beatty a couple weeks ago and Francisco Alvarez, who I'll talk about him in a second, Him being brought up as they're trying to infuse a little power, a little youth, some excitement. And Vientos, off of a tough right-handed submarining pitcher, hits a ball to dead center to tie the game. And then when they're down 5-2, 
In the ninth inning, on their last out, Francisco Alvarez hits a bomb of a home run into the second deck to tie the game. And in extras, where Tampa scores two runs, Pete Alonso hits a three-run jack into the night, second deck as well, as the Mets win 8-7, a win they absolutely desperately needed. And the final game of that series, this afternoon, out at City Field, where you could only hope and pray that they would at least win a series because they've lost their last five series. They've lost the terrible teams in the process. Now, mind you, they split a series with Washington over the weekend, but the Mets, who have not been able to get out of their own way, and Verlander was awful in his City Field debut as a Met, where he gave up two bombs, five runs in five innings, and a team that has not gotten themselves on track, although after the first couple of series where they were able to win some series, but ever since that West Coast trip, as I talked about, where they started off 7-1 and and came back 7-3, and they have just been god-awful losing to the dregs of the sport, whether you're the Tigers, the Nationals, the Reds getting shut out. I mean, seriously? And I'm not trying to make the Reds out to be the 62 Mets, but come on, guys. And they get swept by the Tigers. Just just terrible job by the Mets. But now let's see if this is a win that they could rally around and maybe salvage this game or really get the rubber game, I should say, of this matchup before the Guardians come into City Field over the weekend. So let's see where both New York teams are going to go after a wild couple of days in Toronto and then a wild game last night out in Flushing for both of the New York teams. And other than that, that's what you have. There isn't really much more to discuss. We could talk about how the Padres, they're like the Mets in a way, because for a team with their payroll and what they've done this offseason, and their record is 20-24 and 24 where they could barely beat the Kansas City Royals. I mean, think about that. And the Royals, who are just terrible. But for the Padres, and you would think that they'll right the ship. You'd think that they would have a moment this season to where they'll get themselves back into the mix, but they have just been putrid to start, and similar to the Mets, as they're just a game better than them in the standings. Now, granted, of course, we know the Mets are in the NL East and the Padres in the NL West, but when it comes to wild card and seeding, because you would think the division is going to go to the Braves and Dodgers respectively, let's see where both of those teams fall. Still so much time to go, as I mentioned, we're a little over 40 games into this baseball season. But besides that, what can I talk about? The Oakland A's as the Vegas and how they're going to have a site which has already been purchased and who knows when they're going to break ground on that. So Oakland, as we all know, a team that has just hit on hard times. They can't even keep their own teams, whether it's the Raiders or even the Warriors in Oakland. So now the A's are going to be the next to leave probably in the 2027 season so a site has been looked at and purchased and you would think that ground will break at the end of this year so they could have that ballpark up by 2027 which I believe the lease for the Coliseum ends at that time so the A's who are currently 10 and 35 and going nowhere there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel and unfortunately for the Bay Area that tunnel is going to end in Sin City couple other things before I go. The Preakness is this coming Saturday, and you are going to have Mage, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, will participate to see whether or not he can win this second leg of the Triple Crown. As we saw last year with Rich Strike, I talked about this before, not racing in the Preakness, gave zero buzz, did not give the Preakness even, it was a complete afterthought, where now with Mage, who was 15-1 to to win the Derby, 
not a huge underdog, but now let's see if he's going to be able to go through the, what is it, mile and three-quarter here at Pimlico. And if he's able to do so, there will be some buzz. There will be some juice going into the Belmont Stakes, which will be three weeks from this coming Saturday. All I could say is, let's hope Mage does do that so there is some sort of pop and circumstance and there can be some build-up heading into that Belmont Stakes for a possible Triple Crown winner. But if Mage happens to be second, and that's all Mage needs to be in order for this not to flourish or come to fruition, but if Mage could somehow, some way, eke out a win, then we have something to talk about three weeks from today. If not, the Belmont will be an afterthought and nobody's going to even care. So that's what I have with the Preakness here, which will be just 48 plus hours from now. And then finally, you have the PGA, which starts today in Oak Hill up in Rochester, New York. So right up the state here. And who knows what the weather's going to be like as in New York, it was 48 degrees this morning. And although it's been below normal temps the last couple of days, but it's been actually above normal last weekend and even heading into this weekend where it's going to rain on Saturday. Now that's here locally. I don't know about Rochester. And then you're going to get mid-70s on Sunday. But based on what I saw, the weather's going to be chilly the next couple of days up in Rochester, which is about five hours from where I live. And then Saturday is supposed to rain up there as well. And then Sunday you should have a very nice day. So the weather may be a little bit of a factor, but at the same time, not much to where you may have tremendous delays. But we all know coming into this tournament, a lot of the talk has been about Rory McIlroy, considering that he didn't even make the cut at the Masters, how it's been nine years since he's won a major tournament, how he's the golden boy of this tour, how he's had to pipe down with the live and how they performed in the Masters and how that isn't even an issue coming into this tournament to where you're going to have the likes of the Brooks Kepkas, the Patrick Reeds, the Bryson DeChambeau's, the Dustin Johnson's, the Phil Mickelson's, go on down the list. And McElroy... Let's see what he's going to do here. He's won a couple of PGAs in the past. We understand that the PGA does not have the same ilk as the Masters or even the U.S. Open, which will be next month at this time, and the Open or the British. And I understand that's a whole other set of encyclopedias. But for the PGA, which is usually in August, but has been moved up so you can have the succession from April, May, June, and July for all four major Grand Slam tournaments. Justin Thomas is your defending champ, and he's been awful since the PGA of last year. I understand we could go with the favorites, a guy like John Rahm, who's just been steamrolling here, as we've seen in the Masters just last month. We know Phil Mickelson had a good conclusion to his Masters. Again, I can't look at what happened last month and think that automatically a guy like Mickelson is going to come in here and win the PGA. And mind you, he did win it two years ago at Kiwa Island in South Carolina. So anything can happen. We understand that. I would think off the top of my head, it's easy to go John Rahm. It's easy to go with a guy like Xander Shoffley or Scotty Scheffler or even maybe the likes of Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith. We understand those are going to be the heavyweights, the favorites here. If I had to take a guess, I'm going to go safe this time. I know I went Will Zalatoris, if you recall, for the Masters, and we know that he had to leave with a back injury, and he's not going to even perform throughout the course of this year. So I'm going to go safe. I would want to say John Rahm, but I'm going to say Scotty Scheffler. I think it's going to be probably nip and tuck 
We know that there's going to be a guy that's under the radar. It's going to fly out in the open. It's probably going to be at the top of the leaderboard today and tomorrow. And then once you get into the weekend, that may just shift. And then you're going to have the cream rise to the top. So I'm going to say Scotty Scheffler. I know that's not going out on a limb. And that's a safe pick. If there's another guy I could pick, maybe a Colin Morikawa. That's a guy that obviously is usually at the top of the leaderboard and is always a threat. That's a guy I could look at. But other than that, I don't really have a good feel. Only because we just had the Masters last month. And you would think based on that, that I would have a better just overall look as to who may come out on top here. But again, with the way the weather's going to be, it's going to be chilly. It's going to be windy. That plays a factor into these first couple of days. And who knows what the rain may be like come Saturday. If this was in August, I would have a better understanding and even be more equipped to have a prediction or even predict who may come out on top or who could be a dark horse. But I'm going to go with Scotty Scheffler and we'll see how the second Grand Slam of the Golf 2023 season goes as we'll recap it there on Monday when we reconnect at that time. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation. It is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. I wherever you get your podcast. Tell me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, you can do so at the following. On YouTube, at J Reels. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send to me, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc., to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing on this planet because I love to dissect, divulge, discuss anything and everything that happens with sports, with nothing but fire, passion, fury, energy, thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>